You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So in the fall of 1938, there was an actor named Frank Morgan. And Frank Morgan found himself on the set of a movie um, where he's playing a character called Professor Marvel. Not to be confused with Captain Marvel, that's the movie that's out right now. But he was playing Professor Marvel in this movie, and he was cast in this, and his character was supposed to kind of be a little bit downtrodden, but at one point maybe was fancier. And so the wardrobe director had equipped him with a coat that she found at a secondhand store, at a thrift shop. And so between takes on this movie, as, as Frank Morgan was doing his part, the studio lights got hot, and he got hotter in this coat. And so between one take, he took off the coat and then found on the inside of the second-hand coat the label of the name of the person that previously owned it, who went by the name of L. Frank Baum, which may be a familiar name to you because that is the author of The Wizard of Oz. Now, what makes this a little bit weirder, a little bit bigger of a coincidence, is Frank Morgan was playing the character Professor Marvel, who then later on went to be the Wizard of Oz. He was the professor that met with a runaway Dorothy right before the tornado comes. And so here we have this actor playing a part in a story written by the author, and he just happens to be wearing, unbeknownst to everybody, the author's coat. What a coincidence, right? I love, I don't know about you, I love a good coincidence story. I think most people enjoy a good coincidence story, and we might kind of look at them in different ways, like have, you know, kind of different ways we view them, but I love a good coincidence. Here's another one for you. The Hoover Dam. When the Hoover Dam was built, many people died on the job site at the, at the Hoover Dam. The first person to die while building it was on December 20th, 1922. The last person to die during the construction of the Hoover Dam was on December 20th of 1935. They both died five days before Christmas, 13 years apart. The first person who died, his name was J.G. Tierney. The last person who died was named Patrick Tierney. Patrick Tierney was the son of J.G. Tierney. Both of them died working on the Hoover Dam. One was the first, one was the last, both on December 20th, 13 years apart. Coincidence, right? I love a good coincidence. Or if those two don't get you going, uh, what about the fact that both Superman and Batman's name is Martha, right? Like pretty big coincidence, right? I think we love these coincidence stories because it just kind of gets us wondering. It gets us thinking a little bit. And I think there's sort of a spectrum as far as coincidence goes of what people think. Typically, there's kind of two ends of it of this isn't really a coincidence. Like these things just happen. Or on this spectrum, like it's just mathematical, like we could talk talk about like statistics and probability. Mathematically, these things are going to happen sometimes. Or on the other end of the spectrum, you have people like Carl Jung, who was a psychiatrist that kind of popularized the idea of, of introvert and extrovert. Carl Jung came up with a theory called synchronicity, studying the idea of coincidences. And he supposed and went as far as maybe to say that coincidences are more than just probability and mathematics, that maybe it taps into this idea of the paranormal, that there's something outside of our world messing with our world. And I tend to see that people, this is how we view a coincidence, right? Somewhere on that spectrum of just ah, mathematically, eventually that's going to happen. Or it's something crazy, like there's aliens, there's ghosts, right? That's kind of the the spectrum of this. Uh, The people kind of on the mathematics side, they'll tell you that in a room full of of so many people, you're likely to find someone with your birthday, 
right? Which that is a fun coincidence, isn't it? You meet somebody, like maybe you've been friends for a while, known them for a while, and then you're both like, hey, my birthday's coming up. And they're like, oh, mine too, what day's yours? And it's the same day, right? We love that coincidence, right? But the mathematic people will tell us that if you're in a room of 365 people, there's pretty good odds, you know, one out of 365, that you're going to have somebody with your birthday. I think they got it down even more than that. I think it is uh, in a group of 23 people, apparently you have a 50-50 chance of meeting somebody with your birthday. So they're like, it's not that big of a coincidence. If you're in a room of 75 people, you have a 99.9% chance of meeting somebody with your same birthday. So they would say, like, this birthday thing, it feels cool. It's not really a coincidence. But this week, the day after I was studying this, I met a person in my, or I knew them. There's a, a student in my class named Keely. Sometimes she uh, sings on our praise team here. She's in my, my class at King. There's only five people in this class. Uh, one, I think, has dropped the class too. So out of four people, Keely and I found out, we've known each other for a while now, we found out we have the same birthday coming up this Wednesday. Now, mathematically, you can tell me the statistics and all that, but the fact that I studied this the day before, had never heard this idea, and then the next day found someone with my birthday in a group of four people, that seems to be a bit of a coincidence, right? So depending on where you are in the spectrum, maybe it just happens or maybe there's something mystical happening, we love a good coincidence story. And today, if you like a good coincidence story, today in the book of Acts, we have a doozy, okay? So we're in Acts chapter 8. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. If you have one of the journaling Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 8. And I know it's been a while since we've been together, right? We've taken two Sundays off, which is ridiculous. Thank you for coming back. Like, I'm glad you remembered where the building is after race weekend and then sent to serve. But we are in the book of Acts. And we kind of hit a little bit of a stopping point or sort of like a chapter marker in the book of Acts the last time Matt spoke. And Matt talked about Stephen, Stephen who was executed for his faith. What is considered to be the first martyr, the first person to die because of their Christian faith. And then the next chapter, after this story of Stephen's great stand for God and his execution, we hear in 8 verse 1 that Saul, a name we're going to hear again later, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day, the day of Stephen's execution, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Samaria, except for the apostles. So all these other Christians, all these other disciples and followers, we've seen the number grow, all except for the disciples. They leave Jerusalem because it's too dangerous for them, and we see why. It says, uh, devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him, but Saul, ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we see why all of these people are spreading out. This becomes known as the, the great Christian dispersion. As all of these Christians run for their lives out of Jerusalem because people like Paul are going to houses and pulling fathers and mothers out of houses and throwing them into prison. Sometimes we see in the case of Stephen, people are getting executed. And so Christians everywhere, they leave. And that would seem like a great tragedy except for we get to verse 4 where it says, Now those who were scattered went about hiding and crying. They went about and just ran and like gave up on the faith. No, it didn't say that. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So for them, nothing has changed in the mission that Jesus gave them. All that has changed is the location where they are. So if I shared Christ in this city, well, as I go to these cities, I'm going to share Christ here, even though it got dangerous for me in this city. So these Christians that went about preaching and spreading the word about Jesus, of them is a guy named Philip. And we begin to read about Philip. Now, we've already been introduced to Philip a couple of chapters ago, 
along with Stephen. He was one of the seven that were selected and chosen to be in charge of the distribution for the, of the food and the wealth to the widows in the church. And so Stephen, we saw how it went for him. Here's Philip, one of his contemporaries, one of his buddies. And Philip goes on, and Philip goes through Samaria first. He begins traveling down through there and preaching as he goes, which is a radical idea to a Jewish person because Jewish people and Samaritans didn't like each other. But Philip didn't see that distinction. Philip just starts talking to these people about Jesus, and many of them come to Christ. And then as we move a little bit further into chapter 8, here's where our story really picks up. I want to start in chapter 8, verse 26. And it says this to us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Hold that little tidbit of information for later. And he rose, Philip gets up, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Cadence, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. I'm just going to pause right there and talk just a little bit about who our characters are in the story. We hear that there's an Ethiopian on this road, that Philip goes down this road, and on this road, there's an Ethiopian. Now, today, Ethiopia would probably be like not where Ethiopia is today, but really close to it in the South Sudan. So this guy was from the South Sudanese region, okay? But he's known as an Ethiopian, which to the Greco-Roman world, like that far south of them, like that to them is just the edge of the world. Like that's about as far as you can go in their minds. And so here's an Ethiopian from this place. And so this guy, being from Ethiopia, was undoubtedly a black man, right? Like this is, is for sure would have been, it says that he's come to Jerusalem, would have been a bit of a spectacle walking around Jerusalem because they wouldn't see a lot of people like that there. Now, of course, they have darker skin. They, they would be brown skin in the Middle East, but this guy would be much darker skin. So we have an Ethiopian who just by appearances would have stuck out a little bit. And then we hear another tidbit of information with him, which is a little bit awkward, and I'm surprised that Matt even allowed me to have this passage knowing who I am and some of the subject matter of this passage. So I'll just handle this very delicately, but he is a eunuch. We find out that this man is a eunuch, and if you don't know what that is, congratulations for not watching Game of Thrones, um, and also just ask the neighbor that brought you here, like just have that conversation uh, on your own. But basically, this is a, a guy who, he's been, he's been castrated. He's been neutered, or they turned a bull to a steer. This is what has happened to this guy. And typically, they, this would happen to people working in a royal court. So if there's a man working in the royal court around, like, the king's wife or the king's daughters, this would often be done to them. They'd be created a, a eunuch so that there could be no funny business between the women in the royal court and these servants working in the royal court. And that seems to be the case with the Ethiopian eunuch that we read about here. Because we're told he is a treasurer in the court of the queen named Candace, which is more of a title than a name. It's not like she's Queen Candace. That's just kind of what they call the queen. Because the queens in Ethiopia, they were the ones that were actually doing the work. The king in Ethiopia, and this time, he was considered to be a god. He was considered a deity. So he was above, like, all the matters of ruling and things. He didn't have to worry about that. So the queen did all of the real work, all the real administration, all the real ruling. Sound familiar, ladies, right? Like, those men just always making us do the work, right? So this is who we run into. This guy, he would have been powerful. He would have been high up in Ethiopia. He would have been powerful, likely rich. We don't know the entourage he's traveling in. He's got a carriage. Maybe it's decked out in gold and there's other servants and things around. But this is who we're talking to. The Ethiopian eunuch who has, weirdly, come to Jerusalem to worship. 
Now, we don't know if he's Jewish by birth. That seems kind of weird and unlikely. Maybe he's a Jewish convert or just a person that heard about this God, Yahweh, and decided, I believe that's the creator of the world. And so he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. But here's what's weird. Not only his appearance, not only his, uh, his like, kind of entourage he'd be traveling with, but the very fact of who he is, this would have made him a bit of an outsider in Jerusalem. He's not one of the local folk, right? He's, all, he's a foreigner. And so coming to Jerusalem to worship as a foreigner or a non-Jew, as a Gentile, he wouldn't have been allowed in most of the places of the temple. He could have only gone in the Gentile's court of the temple, like the most outer ring of the temple. But then also knowing that he's a eunuch, Old Testament law forbid anyone that would be a eunuch from even entering the temple because they were considered to be unclean or unwhole, and that would mess up, that would bring uncleanness, unwholeness to the temple. So this guy could not have even gone into the place he came to worship. I don't know if he knew this on the way, if he found it out there, if it was a big dis- disappointment to him, we don't know. All of that is to say that this guy is an outsider. He's an outsider, and I think he's a bit of a paradox too, right? Because though he is in the royal court, he doesn't worship the king. And though he is high and mighty and probably rich and powerful, he'd be considered physically impotent. And though he comes to worship the God of the Jews, he was an outsider to the Jewish people. So this is who Philip meets, and this is where we begin to get into our coincidences. Coincidence number one, as Philip is traveling down the road, let's read verse 29. It says this right here. It says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. So here's what the Spirit tells. Of all the roads, of all the people, we have Philip, one of the the disciples, and then we have this Ethiopian. Of all the places they can meet, they meet right here. And I want to point this out, that it's not Philip that goes to him. Philip, of course, does. It's not Philip that initially reaches out to this guy. It's the Spirit. It is God that reaches out to this outsider. It's not Philip's idea. Philip certainly is obedient, but it is God that wants to reach out to this outsider. And so that's what's happening. And I love this right here that it says Philip ran to meet him. Now, later on, it gives us a detail that the chariot was still moving because it says they stopped the chariot. So I like to imagine what this might have looked like, right? Like we have this chariot going down and then Philip, God is like, Philip, go to that chariot. He's like, all right. Like, so he just starts running next to the chariot, right? Like, and then as he's running, he hears this guy reading the passage we're going to find out about, but he's running. And then maybe it's like hopping up over the window of the chariot, but it says he ran to meet him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And so like he hears that, and, like he's running by like, hey, what are you reading? Like, and the guy's in here, like maybe looking out the window, like trying to focus on what he's reading, but it says he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So coincidence number one, we've got Philip and this Ethiopian in this spot. That's a pretty big coincidence. Number two, that he is reading the passage he is reading. That's a big coincidence, right? And so it says right here that Philip heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generations? For this, for his life is taken away from the earth. Now, try and hear that with the ears of this Ethiopian eunuch, of this outsider who reads about another who, it said, who can talk about his generations. That might just really relate to you, right? And so as he's reading this, he goes through it. And and Chris read this passage uh, for us earlier, but I want to read it again. 
Because I imagine Philip gets in this chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he begins expanding on these verses as the guy is like, who can, who can, how can I understand this unless somebody tells me about it? So imagine that Philip gets in and begins telling him about it. And Philip says, reads to him maybe Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, which says this, Who has believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was an outsider, right? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So coincidence number one, these two meeting on the same road. Coincidence number two, of all the books this guy could be reading in his chariot, he's reading the Torah Coincidence number three of all the places in the Torah, the Old Testament, that he could be reading, he is reading this chapter about an outsider, an outsider who was recently killed, who Philip knows of, maybe had walked with at one point personally, and then can tell this Ethiopian all about what he is reading. And I'd just like to insert here maybe what would be coincidence number four. Like maybe it's part of the story, maybe not, I'll let you be the judge. But that would be the fact that Isaiah wrote this prophecy. And Isaiah wrote this prophecy in what most believe would be about approximately 735 years before Jesus was born. So 735 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah starts writing these things about this guy that would grow up and be esteemed not, but then would be pierced for our transgressions. In other places, he talks about a virgin that would bear a child and name him Emmanuel 700 years before Jesus would be born. And then 700 years later, Jesus is born just as Isaiah talks about and dies just as Isaiah talks about in this chapter. That's a pretty big coincidence, right? Like if I tried my best right now to write about someone in the way Isaiah wrote about Jesus, you better believe I'm not going to be that accurate in that many places about Jesus. That's a pretty big coincidence. And so here we have Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, and Philip begins explaining this to him. And, and I would imagine that Philip probably goes a little bit further knowing who he's talking about. If we just go three chapters forward in Isaiah to Isaiah 56, this is what it says, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. That's him, right? Let not this Ethiopian who has joined to these people say that he's separated. And then get this, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's very possible that this guy read a passage that is a prophecy almost about him directly saying, you're not cut off. You are not an outsider. You have a family. Because of the death of this anointed one, you have a family that you can be brought into. It is God's family. And so Philip gives this guy on this day, on this road, the message that he needs to hear of an outsider who, because of the work of Christ, 
is brought to the inside. And it's not just Philip talking. It's the message God wanted him to hear. And I would argue that there's many of us today that probably could use that message as well, right? Our circumstances are probably far from the Ethiopian eunuchs. Maybe we're not a foreigner. Maybe we're not dealing with what he is. But I imagine all of us have something in us that make us feel like an outsider, right? Something that we're not as good at, something that maybe where we are financially or maybe where we were born or, or the way that, you know, we look or whatever it is that we have something that makes us feel like we're an outsider from everyone else. And if that's not you, if you're one that's like, oh, not me, like I'm one of the cool people, always have been at the cool table, like not me. I would say this, that in reality, all of us are outsiders, right? When it comes to God, our creator, and it comes to our behavior, the way that we sin, the way we do things that he asks us not to, we have made ourselves spiritually outsiders to God. That spiritually, because we were born in sin, because we sin, we can't be with God, we can't be in a relationship with him who was our creator, who is our father, but we can't be in a family with him. We are outsiders spiritually. And that's why God sent his son Jesus to march into Jerusalem or ride in Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate today, and then later die on the cross so that we who are on the outside could be brought into a family. The same family that Philip is a part of, the same family that this eunuch got to become a part of. So I believe that this was not just the message the Ethiopian needed to hear. I think it's the message that we need to hear. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, this is a huge coincidence because I really needed to hear it. So let's go a little bit further and see what happens. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 8. It says, as they were going along on the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. We got water here this morning. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. So that's where we hear this chariot's just been cruising the whole time. Like Philip just had to jump on, John Wayne style. And, and it says they both went down into the water, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip baptized him. Now let me just talk about this right here, that they get to this spot of water on this desert road. Remember that little detail earlier? Archaeologists have looked at this road from Jerusalem down to Gaza, and they have found that there's pretty much just one watering hole on the way. So coincidence number one, we got Philip, Philip and an Ethiopian. We got this uh, eunuch reading a book of the Bible pretty much about him. We got the prophecy of Isaiah, and then they happen to be in this spot in the desert, the only spot on his route where there is water. And he looks around and says, let me get baptized. And I love that, like, we don't hear Philip saying, like, here's what you do when you become a believer. You say the ABCs, like, admit, believe, confess, and then you are baptized. The guy just knows. He's like, I got to be baptized then. This is the next step for me in this process of salvation. And so him and Philip stop. They both get down into the water. And this guy, like, you can just see he is all in, right? He's like, hold the chariot. I'm all into this family of God because I've found the place that I can be. I've found my family. I've found where I am an insider. I was on the outside. And then I met Jesus who took the position of an outsider and brought me inside his family. So I'm all in. And then he gets all in the water, right? I love it. So Philip baptizes him. Then we get this really weird place that I'd love to focus more on, but I totally don't understand it. I think it's awesome. God just zaps Philip out of there and puts him in another place. He's like, I don't need you here anymore, Philip. You're gone. And we have like, beam me up, Scotty, transportation, like teleportation in the Bible that God does with Philip. But I love this, and I love that all of this happens. So with no hesitation, no question, this guy gets baptized, and he is brought in to a family. 
And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So the opportunity he took is the same opportunity that we all have to be together as one family, to no longer be an outsider, but be brought into one family, the family of Christ because of what Jesus did for us. That's one of the things that happens with baptism. We're given the shot at a a new life, right? There's the idea that we have been buried, that this water is really like dirt and just our bodies going down into it. And then it's washing all the old away, all the old life, all the outsiderness about us, everything that made us alienated from God. And then we come up reborn. And with that rebirth, we have a new family. We're born into the family of Christ. It's the opportunity that the Ethiopian took, and it's the same opportunity that is open to each of us today. And so this all happens, and I have to reflect on this and just think, like, well, what if Philip hadn't, right? Like, what if this first verse of the passage where it says the angel told Philip to go and do this, if Philip was like, did I hear that, like, or was I just thinking it? Was that really like what like the spirit wanted me to do or just kind of like what my brain thought I should do? Like, that's weird. Or if he was like, oh, I'll get around to that. Like, feel kind of like I should go this way. Like, but today I'm supposed to do this thing here. Like, I'll get around to that and go there another time. Like, what if Philip had missed it or just flat out was like, no way, God, pulled a Jonah. He's like, I'm gonna go the other way. If Philip had not been at that place at that time because the spirit directed him to be, this outsider would have stayed an outsider. This Ethiopian eunuch would have only known half of the story, the Old Testament half. He wouldn't have known the New Testament half about Jesus who loved him and died for him. That's what would have happened if Philip hadn't come. Paul talks about this in another place in Romans. Romans 10, 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did. And then here's what Paul says. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's another half to the story of the eunuch and Philip. You know, maybe we find ourselves more in tune with the outsider, but maybe there's some of us that identify a little bit with Philip. And to that, I would just say, how can they hear if nobody talks to them? How can they believe if nobody talks to them? How can they know about Jesus unless you go to them? Who might be the outsider in your life, in your neighborhood, who you know they don't have a church they're going to? Or maybe in your office and you know they're in a hard time but they don't have a faith in Christ to rely on? Well, how can they ever be brought on the inside? How can they ever know that there is hope unless somebody talks to them about it? And how can anybody ever talk to them about it unless somebody goes to them? And how can anybody go to them if they are not sent That's what Paul is saying. So there's two sides of this here, two challenges I think we have. For those of us that are outsiders and don't know Christ, I think our challenge is to join the family and see that there is nothing separating us, that Jesus understood the outside, made himself an outsider so that he could bring us in his family. And he did this at great cost to himself on the cross. And he died and then he rose again so that we would not have to die, but that we could rise again with him for eternity. That's half of us, I think, or part of us, maybe all of us, I don't know. And then the other part, I think there's some of us in here today that need to start looking at coincidences in our lives differently and realize that, man, maybe God is up to something. 
if a coincidence is just a, a random occurrence, well, as people of faith, I think we need to add a third option into the idea of a coincidence. Maybe it's not mathematics. Maybe it's not the supernatural. Maybe it's our creator sometimes. I'm not saying every time. But sometimes maybe there are coincidences that God puts in our life, people that God puts in our life for a purpose of us going to them and demonstrating Christ's love to them so that they could be brought into the inside of Jesus' family. So this morning, I don't know where you are in reading these passages, but I imagine there's a couple of outsiders here, whether we know Christ or we don't. I imagine there's a couple of people here, and there's a face in your brain right now as we talk about people who need Jesus in their life. And so we're going to enter into another time just of song, and I'd encourage you during that time to pray as you need. And some of you today, you might need to pray with somebody like specifically. You just feel it. Like you feel that, man, I was here today and this is what they talked about today. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God is up to something. I would agree with you. It's no coincidence that any of us are here this morning that we're talking about this passage this morning. I believe God is up to something in our lives today. And so for some of us today, we may need to go back to the prayer room and just say, hey, I think God is trying to bring me on the inside. I got stuff in my life that I'm dealing with, and, and I need Jesus in my life. Maybe some of you are hearing this, you're like, man, I've considered myself a Christian for a long time, but I never did what that Ethiopian did. I never hopped all into the water. It's here right now. And if you'd like to do that, we've got people in the back prayer room that will talk to you about that. I would encourage you to do that as we sing this last song. For others of us during this last song, I would ask that you just have in your brain, in your, the picture of your mind, that outsider that you need to go to this week. And I would challenge you to do that. And just tell them, hey, this may seem weird. Maybe it's a big coincidence that I've been thinking about you. But I want to invite you to church next week. I want you to come to our Easter service with me. Or I just want to talk to you this week. Wherever you are in that, this is your time to pray about that, reflect on that, or talk to someone. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you sent your son to us and that he marched into Jerusalem so many years ago and that he wants to march into our lives today. And so God, if there's anybody this morning that's starting to deal with this idea of coincidences and seeing coincidences just with our day, that we are here, we are in this passage, God, I pray that we'd see it's more than a coincidence that you have orchestrated this in our lives so that we can come to you this morning. And so right now, we want to sing and praise and celebrate the fact that you looked at us outsiders and said, we're not too dirty for you. We're not too far outside for you. And you sent your son to die for us so that we could be brought into a family with you. I thank you for that. And so we sing and celebrate that this morning. It's in your name we pray.